This morning, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 13, if you would, please. Here, we look at a parable that the Lord Jesus told, and in verse 45, we'll just look at two verses, verses 45 and 46. The Lord Jesus said, Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now let me say here in the beginning that I'm not trying to present something to you this morning, some new revelation. There's no new revelation in in the Scripture. Um, my intention this morning is to simply try to encourage you and show you that uh, from this parable just how much God loves his elect people. And he loves them in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's something that every believer struggles with. We see how that Christ could love someone else, but uh, we live with ourselves, don't we? We know what our mind thinks and where our heart is so much of the time. And how many times we've said, Lord, how how could you love a wretch like me? But in Christ, he does. And that's what makes the gospel so beautiful and wonderful, is that someone did for me what I couldn't do for myself. Now, this parable given by the Lord, many interpret it to represent fallen men and women who earnestly desire and diligently seek after Christ for salvation. But this interpretation and this way of thinking, men and women believe that in their seeking and in their finding, and uh, they somehow purchase this pearl of great price. And no doubt that the Lord Jesus Christ is the greatest gift that any man or woman could ever be given by God. And that the Lord Jesus is far superior to any precious substance like silver or gold or pearls. But we know that any man or woman that has the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, hath life. Don't you love the simplicity of that verse? He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son hath not life. So I know that to have life eternal, I've got to have him. And no doubt that Christ is far precious than silver and gold and pearls. But to believe that in seeking and in finding this great pearl of great price, which folks say to be Christ, in many ways implies that sinners are rewarded by their efforts in their seeking and their finding. Now, many believe this parable is the teaching that somehow by finding Christ, sinners can sell all that they possess. And most of the time, that simply uh, implies that or suggests that they forsook, give up, and sell out all their fleshly lust and evil ways, abandoning their worldly companions and compassions and possessions, and somehow secure their own salvation 
by their own doing. But that's not the, the teaching of Scripture, is it? Now think with me on this. There are several things wrong with that way of thinking and the common interpretation of this parable. It doesn't take into account the overall teaching of Scripture. First and foremost, there's never been a natural man or woman, a a sinner, that has ever truly sought after Christ. Uh, Paul was very plain in Romans chapter 3, verse 11. He said, there's none that understandeth, and there's none that seeketh after God. None. None. Now, sinners ought to seek salvation in Christ. A depraved sinner needs to seek God who commands them to do so. Isaiah 55 verse 6 says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he's near. Yet a dead sinner in his fallen state and condition never has and never will seek the Lord for salvation unless God first does a work of grace in his heart. It's just that simple. We can use Adam, the first sinner, as our example. When Adam sinned against God, what did he do? Did he seek God? No. He hid from God. When the Lord called Adam, did he come and fall on the ground in shame and cry for mercy and grace and forgiveness? You know, I have no doubt that if he had of, God would have forgiven him. But he didn't seek the Lord. He actually did just the opposite. He fled from God's presence and he tried to hide himself among the trees. That's pretty ridiculous, isn't it? Try to hide from God. Genesis 3 verses 8 and 9 says it this way, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And of course we know it's ridiculous to think that God uh, didn't know where Adam was, but God called for Adam so that Adam might take responsibility for his disobedience and and confess his sin. But he didn't. No, he blamed it on Eve, his wife, Fellas, we're good at that, aren't we? And what did she do? She blamed it on the serpent. The old blame game, we've been doing it ever since, hadn't we? What about Abraham, father of the faith, father of the faithful? Did he seek God? Well, there's nothing that I can find in the Scriptures whatsoever that support that he did. Abraham was dwelling in the land of the Ur of Chaldees. He was a heathen whose parents were not only idol worshipers, but were idol makers. And no doubt in my mind that Abraham was learning the family business. He's going to be a top-notch idol maker. But God called him out. God intervened in his life. Aren't you glad God does that? He called him out. God sought Abraham, and Abraham, he wasn't seeking God, and it's the same with all God's elect. There's none that seeketh. 
Luke 19.10 plainly declares, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Isn't that good news? There are many professing believers who cling to their personal experience and they'll say, well, now I know there was a, a time that uh, I sought the Lord. Well, who calls them to seek Him? As we've said earlier in, in this uh, meeting, if, if we love Him because He first loved us, then it has to be that we sought Him because He first sought us. I've never seen a dead man or woman seek anything, have you? And that's what we are by nature. Dead in trespasses and sin. Does the sheep seek the shepherd? <laughs> of course not. When the sheep was lost, the shepherd left the ninety and nine and he found the lost sheep. And every time I read this in scripture, it just warms my heart. He didn't say, okay, sheep, let's go home. You know, No, he picked him up and put that sheep on his shoulder and carried him all the way home. That's what the Lord does for his sheep. When they're lost, he finds them and he carries them all the way home. And then he calls his friends and rejoices that he found the one lost sheep. Oh, my, what a gospel. What a Savior. To teach that the sinner is seeking Christ, the pearl of great price, is really to neglect the teaching of Scripture, and it's to dishonor the sovereign grace of God and the salvation of sinners. And there are many things that a natural man will seek after, but salvation in Christ is not one of them. Men will seek after pleasure. They'll seek after wealth. They'll seek after the things of the world, but there's none, none, that seeketh after God. Christ is the sovereign seeker. He still seeks out poor, needy, helpless, wretched souls, and He shows them their desperate need of Him. Isn't, isn't that the case with you, child of God? The foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are His. And the Lord foreknew them that were His. And those that He foreknew, He predestinated. And those whom He predestinated, He uh, uh, called, He sought. <laughs> and he, those that He called, He justified. And those that He justifies, He will one day glorify. And another problem with the common interpretation of this parable is that men and women who believe that they've sought the Lord and that they've found the Lord Jesus, the pearl of great price, somehow sell all that they have to buy it. Two, two major things wrong with that. First, the Lord Jesus is not lost. He's never been lost. We're the lost ones, and we're the ones that must be found and must be given life and must be made willing in the day of His power. And secondly, the second thing that's wrong with it is how can it be that we sold all when being dead in sin, we have nothing to sell? What do we have to offer God that God will accept? We know that it must be perfect to be accepted. 
So we have nothing perfect that we can offer God. So we have nothing to sell. We have nothing to offer. And sinners are often described in the uh, in preaching as being bankrupt. Well, to be bankrupt, a man has to have more debt than he has assets. You can't even file bankruptcy unless you're more in debt than you have uh, equity. We have no equity. None. You know, the Greek and the Hebrew word for righteousness is equity. Um, we have none. We have no righteousness. We have no equity. Isaiah 64, verse 6 says of us, but we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses, plural, anything that we think is righteous, are as filthy rags. And we do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. What do you suppose our filthy rags would be worth at market? <laughs> I know they have the little auction down the street here. I used to love to go to it all the time. And but what if I went down there and asked the auctioneer to auction off my righteousness? I wonder what it would bring. Nothing. Nobody'd be interested. It's worthless. I have no equity. I have no assets. We have no goodness. We have no righteousness. We have no faith. We have no ability. We have no will to come to God unless God make us willing. I often think about that poor harlot Gomer as she stands on the slave block to be auctioned off. Her youthfulness is now gone. Her natural beauty has faded away. She's way past her prime. Her lovers have stopped calling. Her lovers have stopped giving. Her joy has turned to mourning. Her sweetness has turned to bitterness. Her, her life has become a heavy burden. She's put herself into great debt and she's got nothing to pay with and nothing to sell. She's now sold her freedom and she's in debt to her sin and her life's profession as a harlot cost her more than she ever made and now she stands on the slave block. Friends, there's pleasure in sin for a season, but then comes the suffering of affliction. And it was her husband, Hosea, that redeemed her. What a picture that is. Our heavenly husband, the Lord Jesus Christ, redeemed us with his own precious blood as we stood on the slave block of sin to be auctioned off. And we, like Gomer, have sold our souls into that pleasure of sin. We owe a debt that we cannot pay. We have no equity. You know, in the terms of finance, uh, if you owe more than something's worth, they call it being upside down. You ever heard that? Every time I ever went to trade in a car, they said, well, you're upside down. I said, no, I'm not. I'm standing up straight. You're upside down. Well, you know, that's a pretty good term for us in our sin, isn't it? Upside down. Upside down. By nature, we're all upside down, sold under sin. And not until Christ 
by his grace saved us. Were we made whole? For by grace are you saved through faith. And that's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. As we discussed yesterday or the day before, I'm not sure, according to Isaiah 55, 1, our redemption comes without money and without price. Salvation is not for sale. It's a free gift, and it can only be given by God. Romans 6, 23, love this verse, for the wages of sin is death, but, don't you love the buts of Scripture? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. May God give us the grace and the knowledge to see the true interpretation of this parable. Uh, it thrills my heart when I think about it. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man. Now, there's no doubt in my mind that the man who here was a merchant in this parable refers to Christ. He's all through this 13th chapter of Matthew. In verse 3, the sower who sowed seed, that's the Lord Jesus. The man referred to in verse 24 at the beginning of the second parable is no doubt Christ. Verse 24 uh, says, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. And verse 37 tells us who it is. He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. So the man in this parable we're looking at this morning, the merchant man, is also the Lord Jesus. And we're told here that first he desired and he sought this goodly pearl. The pearl had no life to seek the merchant man. The kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man seeking goodly pearls. And when he had found one pearl of great price, he went and he sold all that he had and he bought it. Notice that this parable implies that the merchant man had set his heart upon this pearl. He did. Before the foundation of the world, he did. And no doubt in my mind that this pearl represents Christ's church in its entirety. They are the people the Lord Jesus Christ desired and set upon his heart. And the church of God is one and this is something which altogether passes our comprehension, isn't it? What was there in us? As I said, the poor, fallen, depraved, sinful creatures we are that would cause the Lord Jesus to desire us. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And that's what makes it grace. It's unmerited. It's undeserved. Did our Lord not say, my delights were with the children of men? In the eternity of the past, God's heart was fixed on us. His afflictions, His affection, excuse me, went out to us. He who was rich for your sake 
became poor, that you, through his poverty, might be rich. It's substitution. He was made to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Substitution. So poor that he occupied a manger so that one day you and I might occupy a mansion. So poor that he had no place to lay his head in order that you and I, his favored ones, might forever rest our heads upon his bosom. How much does Christ love his people? He loves his church so much that he died for them. How much did he give? He gave all. He gave all. No wonder Paul in Ephesians 5 says, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Oh, how he loves those that he died for and, and, and purchased with his own blood. Can you see that, that the merchant man regarded this pearl as being of great price? Oh, we don't see ourselves that way because in and of ourselves we're not. But we are to him. This merchant man in the parable sought the pearl and not all, uh, we're, we're far off. Scripture says we're far off. We're far off from Him. Has there ever been a sinner that was nigh to Him in and of themselves? No, all of Adam's race were far off from Him. That's a good uh, definition of what we are. We're born condemned, conceived in sin. We come forth from the womb speaking lies. We're dead in trespasses and sin. Plum dead. And I was far off when he sought me. I wasn't seeking him. I know that. Yet in sovereign mercy and in sovereign grace at the appointed time of love, according to God's purpose, Christ sought me and he bought me and he brought me nigh to him. He said, come unto me, all ye that Labor and a heavy laden, and I'll give you what? Rest. Do you have that rest? The scripture tells us plainly that Christ must needs go through Samaria. Why must he needs go through Samaria? Because he had elect children there that he must save. Joshua, which means Savior, must send spies to Jericho to meet a harlot named Rahab so she and all her family might be saved. He must. How many times in the Holy Scriptures do we see our Lord and our Savior seeking His people? Was it by chance that our Lord passed by the wayside where blind Bartimaeus was begging? No, no, it was no accident. There are no accidents with God. He's the God of purpose. No accidents with Him. Christ was seeking, for He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Was it by accident that our Lord stopped one day and looked up in a tree and to see a wicked tax collector by the name of Zacchaeus? 
Was that wee little man just lucky? Nope, no such thing as luck with a God who does all things after the counsel of his own will. Our Lord said, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down, come down, (laughs) for today I must abide at thy house. God said I must. (laughs) In order to save me, he must. Did you notice that the merchant man bought the pearl? I was, uh, it was at the cross that our glorious Savior bought the pearl of great price, which was paid for in full by his own precious blood. Peter wrote, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed or you were not purchased with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb slain without blemish and without spot. First Peter 1, 18 and 19. Beloved, the blood of God was shed. I may have already said this, but if you want to see something of your depravity, if you want to see something of your horrific sin, it took God's blood to wash you clean. Now, I want to just for a minute or two uh, consider the pearl itself. And then I'll, uh, I'll wrap this up. Way down in the ocean's depths, there lives a little animal encased in a shell called an oyster. Uh, one day, uh, a foreign substance, uh, a grain of sand maybe, or a, a small particle of rock intrudes and it, and pierces, or it pierces the oyster's side and God's given that oyster a way of self-preservation. When that grain of sand uh, pierces the side of the oyster, a a slimy substance called nacre, I think I'm saying that right, N-A-C-R-E, nacre, covers the wound and it repeats that process over and over and over again. And one layer after another of that nacre, or also it's called mother of pearl, is cast and secreted by that little animal from the wound in its side until ultimately there's a buildup of what in the end results in a pearl. Now, I'm not making this up. You can Google it or whatever. That's how they're made. So we must conclude, first and foremost, that the pearl is a result of suffering. The very thing that injured the animal, that little grain of sand or that little piece of rock, dead, inanimate substance that intruded, then was clothed with a beauty that's not its own. It's then covered with the comeliness and the beauty that came from the one that it injured. The very thing that injured the oyster is the very thing that eventually becomes the gem, the pearl of great price. Oh, I know you see the picture there. Acts 2.23 says this, The Lord Jesus Christ, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you, you and I, have taken 
in our hearts and in our minds, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. I've heard so many people over the years say things like, well, if I'd have been there when they crucified the Lord, I would have stopped it. No, you wouldn't have. You'd have been right there yelling at the top of your lungs with the rest of them crucifying. Let's just be honest. That's what we've done. We've wounded him and we've killed him. And in return, he adorned us with the beauty of his righteousness. Well, isn't that good news? That's why we call it the gospel. We, his church, are the pearl of great price. Christ paid that great price for us. And child of God, I hope that you're able to see that you're an object of value and beauty only because it's Christ in you that makes you so. We're made a gem, a pearl of great price because of Him. And when Christ, our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with Him in glory. The only reason the child of God is the pearl of great price is because of Christ in them. Christ in you is the hope of glory. We're being conformed to the image of God's dear Son. Now that beautiful pearl originally had its home in the depths of the sea. Amid the mire and the filth, and that, that's where oysters uh, congregate. They're the scavengers of the ocean. Down in the ocean's depths, among the mire, this precious gem was being formed. Well, that's where he found me. My, my. And that's to remind us of just that, and that's to humble us. That by nature, our origin is in the filth and the mire and the ruin of the fall. That time that you and I were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope. How much? No hope. And without God in this world, if you're without God, you're without hope. If you're without Christ, you're without hope. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were far off, down in the depths of depravity, were made nigh by the blood of Christ. This pearl of great price being formed down in the ocean's depth is not seen by the eye of man. It's a secret formation. None but God witnesses its spiritual formation. It's the same with the church. The church which Christ is now building, that body of which is now being formed, is unknown and it's unseen by the world. I'm not talking about a visible church or a visible church building and its congregations that that are found on every corner in every town. I'm talking about that church which is being built and formed with like the pearl in the oyster, that one that God sees. 
that little pearl hidden from the eyes of men is being fashioned into a precious gem. That's what Christ's church is. That's what God is doing with the church. The Lord Jesus is going to present to himself a glorious church, a glorious bride, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. It shall be holy and without blemish. (laughs) Oh, that's good news to one that's nothing but a blemish. So in closing, first a word to you who are yet without Christ. May God use this parable to show you once and for all that it's utterly impossible for you to attempt and to purchase or to merit your own salvation by any work or doing of your own. Can't do it. It's futile. It's impossible. And the pearl in this parable is not the Savior who the sinner has to buy. You can't, you can't buy him. He can't be bought. This pearl in the parable cannot be bought. This, this is God's word to you. This pearl has been purchased by Christ. God's chosen people are the purchased property of God. Bought with a price. And does the Bible not declare that you're not your own? You're bought with a price. And the only thing that we have that gives us a right to eternal eternal glory is Christ in us. That's it. Nothing else. And we're now pearls of great price, not because of anything in us. I know you know that. You hear your pastor tell you that all the time. And the child of God is made to know that by God. You won't find the believer arguing about their sin, will they? No, sir. I agree with you. That's one thing that we all do agree on. The only thing we might disagree on is which is the greatest sinner. Me and Gary fought about that several times. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And one day soon, when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's God's word. It's true. Believe it. Ask God to enable you to believe it. He made his elect something that he would desire and purchase as his own. Again, we see that salvation's of the Lord and it's in the Lord. It's not only of the Lord, it's in the Lord. He is our salvation. Salvation's in a person. And that person is God's beloved Son in whom God is well pleased. And the Lord said, hear ye him. Aren't you glad? Aren't you? Boy, I am. I'm so thankful. I'm thankful that God crossed my path with the gospel, showed me and taught me that I was a needy sinner. I mean desperately needy. I didn't need just a little help. (laughs) I needed life. And he was pleased to give it.